All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. It is December 3rd. It's getting into the winter and it's getting cold and we're still in a tent, but that's all right. The situation should change real soon. So you're listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your teacher of the mysteries, preacher of the heart. Brother Marty Leeds, we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. That is why you're here. So thank you all for everybody that does show up and absorbs the material that we provide and um, joins in the congregation, everything like that. Great group of people here. So, and we are, we are proud that... We have assembled such a good group of people. So uh, today we're gonna we're gonna take a little break from what we normally do. Like the last few uh, live streams, I've been doing these, you know, two and a half hour, three three hour intensity intensities. Lot, you know, these um, um, real, you know, uh, really intense studies of scripture. And last week we did the Masonic ritual, and that was like three hours, and I was ranting and raving and stuff like that. So I thought it'd be a nice sort of, as you guys know, I like to mix it up, you know, deviate from the norm a little bit and change it up every once in a while. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to change it up. I'm actually just going to read from a few chapters of the new book, and, and we're going to, um, you know, show some slides and things like that as we go. And so this is uh, episode 95 of the Sunday Services, the Holy Rosary and what is Gnosticism. So today we're going to talk about why we use the rosaries, and we saw the rosaries at the church here, why we use them. And then not only that, we're going to do an overview, a brief overview of what is Gnosticism. So um, one of the live streams I have coming up too is called, I think we're just going to call it the basics. And what we're going to do is actually run over, go over essentially all the basic stuff that we study um, on this channel and the things, sort of the, the education, the base education system that you sort of need to know in order to really absorb this material and understand it and things like that. And so what we're going to do is go over... Um, and we really should do more of these, just brief overviews of some of these topics, like whether it's, you know, the Zodiac and whatever it is. And um, so everybody is, you know, so we can all, in this sort of sense, get on the same page, if you will. So one of the things I'm going to talk about is the basics, and that is um, we're going to go over, you know, the, the basics of numerology, gematria. We're going to look at the Zodiac, the Zodiac Man, the Star Study, Kabbalah, you know, all of that sort of stuff, and give everybody a firm foundation as to, you know, why we use the cipher we do and what, what Kabbalah is and what is the zodiac man and all that sort of stuff. So, but today the holy rosary and what is gnosticism and this should be this should be a good one. So, before we um before we move forward though, we're going to do a prayer. And this is kind of a long prayer and this is the one that Jennifer and I have been doing uh we started doing every morning and it's it's the prayer of St. Patrick. So, uh and this is a good one. So, let's do it. I rise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I rise today through the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection and his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I rise today through the strength of love of cherubim, in obedience of angels, in the service of archangels, in hope of resurrection, to meet with reward in prayers of patriarchs and predictions of prophets in preaching of apostles, in faiths of confessors, in innocence of holy virgins, in deeds of righteous men. I arise today through the strength of heaven, light of sun, brilliance of moon, splendor of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of wind, depth of sea, stability of earth, and firmness of rock. I rise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's words to speak for me, God's hand to guide me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of demons, from temptations of vices, from inclinations of nature, from everyone who shall wish me ill will after and near, alone and in multitude. 
I summon today all these powers between me and these evils, against every cruel and merciless power that it may oppose my body and my soul, against inclinations of false prophets, against black laws of heathenry, against false laws of heretics, against crafts of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul. Christ to protect me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come abundance of reward. Christ with me. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ in breadth, Christ in length, Christ in height, Christ in heart, in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Salvation is the Lord. Salvation is of Christ. May your salvation, O Lord, be ever with us. Amen. That's a pretty good one. Old St. Patty there, pretty good dude, huh? Okay, so last week we talked, uh, before we get going on this, I, w- I just want to say a few words, if you will. So last week we did the Sunday service of uh, Rites of Passage and the Masonic Ritual of Hiram Abiff. And um, the responses I got from this were, they went one way or the other. It was either like, that was genius. Oh my God, thank you so much, Marty, that you clarified so much for me. And then the other responses were like, you know, <laughs> You can imagine. So um, I just wanted to say a few words that we're going we're gonna to do a lot more of this moving forward. So if these sorts of topics really get at your gourd or whatever, if they really, you know, hit home to you and they're like kind of uh, offensive or whatever, this might not be the church for you. Because as I've said for many years, and I, I've been saying this since I started this, that you know, what we teach here it comes from masonry in this, sort of, in this sense, it meaning that it is the one tradition that was actually making sure to pass on this, this ancient wisdom to worthy initiates, people that were actually um, good-hearted and good men and wanted to be, you know, wanted to be better men and, and, you know, really make something of their community and their world and that sort of stuff. And so that, this is the foundation upon which we work. So if this kind of thing offends you or you think it's stupid or anything like that, you really shouldn't be in our Telegram group. You really shouldn't be in the church. And I mean that in no offense to anybody. This is just not your cup of tea. That's all I would say. Um, Lots of people have a lot of preconceived notions, as you all know, biases about this subject, about masonry. And what we're going to do and what what I will continue to do the rest of my life is basically show that those those preconceived notions and those biases are 111% false. And we do that not to, you know, piss people off or, you know, get, you know, uh, whatever, agitate people or thing like that. We do it to clear the air because truth is important. And this subject is actually a lot more important than, than, than most people realize. And that's the thing that I think people really need to start realizing that this subject of masonry and esoterica and everything that's being touted in the Masonic, you know, the Masonic canon is actually extremely important. One of the things I, th- I think I've seen in this sort of community or whatever over the years of doing this is that, especially with the flat earth people, is that people, f- people like plateau with flat earth. It's like they, they find out all the lies, they see a bunch of the conspiracies and they're like, see, I've, I've pointed out that they're all lies. And that's great. Of course, we have to point out the darkness. There's no question about it. But then what happens is they like plateau and they think that they've fucking figured it all out or something like that. You haven't. In this in in this respect, you basically have got to square one in your spiritual world. So you figure and, and, and what I mean is that you figured out the lies, cool, but now it's time to actually understand the light. 
And that's that's really where I see a lot of people um, sort of lost their way. It's like they just, once again, they got to certain conspiracies or whatever, and then they, they don't move forward. And then they have even, you know, opinions about what these other subjects are, like Kabbalah and numerology and Gematria and Masonry and et cetera, et cetera. And what we're just here to do is that, and I mean, I, I don't mean to say this in any sort of cocky way or anything like that, but people are insanely uneducated on these topics, like um, dangerously uneducated on these topics. And I'm going to put myself in the position, hate me or like me, it doesn't really matter, to make sure that we do educate ourselves on this topic. So I just want to say that. Okay. So today we're going to talk about the Holy Rosary and what is Gnosticism. And I, like I said, I'm just going to read from our book, Tenets of the Order, which um, we're, we're basically about a month and a half, two months behind because of everything that happened with the yurt and stuff like that. We wanted to have our children's book out and other things happen with that as well, which is, and I'm not going to go into now, but we really wanted our children's book out and at least the tenets of the order out. I actually wanted to put another book out this year, but that wasn't going to happen by Christmas. But that's just, I don't think that's going to happen just because we, we have been, like I said, we're about two months behind, month and a half behind. So, but everything is in the works and we're just going to keep going. You know, we just slowed down a little bit. So... Um, so we're going to read from the Tenets of the Order today, which should be out at least before my birthday and things like that. So this, uh, this is a quote. With the Holy Rosary, we will save ourselves, we will sanctify ourselves, we will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. And so we're going to talk about the Holy Rosary, why we do the rosaries and uh, all of that. So um, one of the symbols we utilize in our order is that of the 59 beaded Holy Rosary, which has been borrowed directly from the Catholic faith. The rosary is a prayer bead that has been a persistent and potent emblem of the Catholic Church for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. It's not to belabor the point, as, as we kind of do in the book, but to make it clear our intentions to those who may criticize or find fault or with our methods and practices of like appropriating, you know, things from Christian, you know, religions and things, or uh, denominations, if you will. We affirm once again here and that we celebrate in all the honorable and great traditions and spiritual doctrines that have graced this Mother Earth throughout time, knowing full well that the transcendent knowledge of the one true, holy, and almighty God has been at the esoter esoteric core of so many of these faiths, and thus... Part of our tradition here at the Gnostic Church is adopting and celebrating those rituals, symbols, emblems, insignia, or otherwise, within the varied religious traditions of times past and today that we see as beautiful expressions of the glory of God. This is exactly what Masonry does. They're essentially a, uh, Freemasonry does this, they're essentially a, um, a library, a compendium of, of ancient wisdom, and ultimately what it does is all points to Christ. We're, we're going to continue that tradition. We're going to honor all the traditions of the world, and what we're going to do is go into them and, and show that there's this transcendental truth that is behind all of them, that in our current time, and our current you know uh, mythos is absolutely understood as, as Jesus Christ, okay? So um, as the 59 beaded, um, excuse me, as the 59-beaded rosary of the Blessed Virgin is such an instrument of symbolic spiritual potency, we as an order have adopted its use. Um, and in our pamphlets, we, in our pamphlets and literature, we do include the traditional Catholic prayers, and this is a picture of it right there, that are generally attributed to this rosary, though we do not necessarily stress the specific approach to prayer when it comes to it, although we do not deter its practices either. So we include this, the, the, the traditional Catholic prayers in our rosary, but that's basically just to honor that tradition and it's, you know, the, the, the prayers that come with the rosary. Though, as we're going to, as I'll show you in just a second here, you know, rosaries are, this is something that's known across the world. So you can use it in any sort of way to, pr to pray as you see fit. 
um, that makes in this in this uh, respect that makes sense to you. As I, Brother Marty Leeds, that's me and my blind Willie right there. He's driving the car. As I, Brother Marty Leeds, am the lead pastor during the inception of this order, part of my contribution to this endeavor has been to include the use of the 59 beaded Christian rosary in our practices. Um, and I highly encourage you guys to get one, not just so you guys will give us money, but because it ends up being a very, for me, it's actually been a very sort of powerful amulet. Like I wear it every single day. So I have, I have done, I have done this, uh, adopted this stuff because it's helped me throughout the years in my journey towards Christ, becoming a consistent point of inquiry in my mind throughout my early youth, youth and into my young adult life. I always had this sort of, um, I don't know. I was just always sort of attracted to the the, the rosary for some reason, um, even when I wasn't religious and that sort of thing. So the rosary tradition has come to me directly through my great aunt, Sister Monica, who spent her entire life as a nun at a convent that's no longer in operation. It was in Dubuque, Iowa, called the Sisters of the Visitation. And we used to go as, as little kids. There's my grandma right there. That um, On the left there, that's my brother. And then on the right there, there's old pudgy, stumpy Marty. And that's when he's still had hair. Look at that. And then that's um, that's my sister, my uh, great aunt sister Monica there, who was my my mom and dad used to love going to the the nunnery, the convent, whatever you want to call it, because it was they were really wonderful. These 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 women spent their entire life dedicated to God and teaching children and and things like that. It was a it was a sir it was a life of completely dedicated to service, you know. So it's actually a very beautiful thing. So that's this is where this this comes from. Uh, Sister Monica was a wonderful woman who dedicated her life to charity, community, and God. Through the Catholic eth- though the Catholic ethos never sat right with me, and far too many questions went unanswered for me in that paradigm, I still found a reverence and respect for certain aspects of it over the years. And this is the Sisters of the Visita- uh, Academy of the Visitation, the Sisters of the Visitation there. So that's um, uh, it's it's changed now, but it wasn't Dubuque. So for many. Contemporary, for many contemporary, for many, excuse me, contemporary Catholicism has drained the spiritual well dry. Amen. And forcing the tenets of Catholicism on the youth has sent many running for the proverbial religious hills and has left many re-examining their faiths. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> has left many re-examining the tenets of their beliefs. We see masses now beginning to, with enormous fervor, starting to question the integrity of their of the faiths as offered up by the clergy. And as we know now, I think the people that are listening to this, the people that have been passing on these traditions don't understand the traditions. So then they force these traditions on the youth and say, you have to do this. And what is the natural consequence of that? What is the nat- They're going to rebel because they're going to be like, well, what does this mean? You're forcing me to do something, but you don't understand it yourself. Well, this is essentially where... I would say the majority of Christianity is today. That's the position they're in today. Hence, once again, why we open this church. Regardless of anyone's opinion on Catholicism, our order does acknowledge and honor the fact that on the whole, the Catholic Church has helped bring forward the glory and gifts of Christ to people the world over. My, my, you know, Sister Monica is a, is proof of this. We see and respect this, and as per our tradition, we wear this Catholic emblem as a way to show great affection and reverence for this aspect of the Christian religion. Prayer beads, this is not something that's just Catholic, of course. Prayer beads are generally used as a tool to keep track of the number of prayers that have been uttered while simultaneously focusing on the deeper meaning of the prayers, uh, deeper meaning of the prayers themselves. The practice is one of great antiquity, and we need not travel far into comparative religious study to see its prevalent use by numerous advanced faiths. The Hindus have their 108-bead Japa Mala, and the Muslims have their 100, sometimes 99-beaded Subha. 
We observe and honor the fact that the tradition of the rosary is one that transcends Christianity, just, you know, as, as that's what we teach, you know, and is, in fact, a near universal one. And that's why we take no issue with appropriating prayer beads into our order. We celebrate the universality of this tradition through this particular emblem of the Catholics. And native, there, there's like native beads, Native American tribes had beads, Islam, Hindu, you can go around the world, and you'll find this is, once again, one of those comparative mythological golden threads that you'll find in a lot of religions, and hence why we honor that. When it comes to the origin of the rosary itself, even according to the Catholic Church, what is offered up is nothing more than folklore and legend, as is all of this stuff. You go to masonry, what is it? It's folklore and legend. You go to the, where, how long has Christianity been around? Folklore and legend, that's really what it becomes. The rosary was supposedly initiated by the Blessed Virgin Mary herself and has been famously been associated with St. Dominic, founder of the Dominican order existing in the early 13th century. In other words, we really don't know how long this thing has been around. One of the many reasons our order has adopted the particular 59-beaded Christian rosary is that, according to Septenary Gematria, both the terms English alphabet and Jesus Christ sum to 59, with the rosary beads themselves having 59 beads. So why the 59 beads of a, of a, of a you know, rosary that's dedicated to Jesus Christ? Well, this is why Gematria becomes important. The fi this 59 is a direct reference to the sexagesimal system, which is calculated with the numbers 0 through 59 and is the base system that is utilized in the mapping of time, especially that of the sun with its 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour. As part of our spiritual journey is, to, is seeking eternal life, with eternal life being a state that transcends time, we find this gnosis on 59 most serendipitous as reveals much about the holy science that lay behind this most ancient of Christian emblems. They're trying, this, this 59 beaded rosary is trying to tell you about the sexagesimal system, and that's the system of time that we use to map and track the sun. And what are we here to do? Eternal life is to transcend time. So this, the rosary, your hands, everything like that is actually giving you naturally, in this, in this sense, um, the, the path out of here, okay? So your hands, as you can see right there, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, that is your four fingers. So that, that sexagesimal system, zero through 59, is, is on, your, on your fingers. Not only is the, the sexagesimal system on your fingers, but so is the 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night that you use to map that sun. So hence why the 59-bead, specifically 59-bead rosary, is very important when it comes to what? What is it? It's the son of God. Correct? Right. So now we can start to make sense of what all this stuff means. We don't have to believe like some guy 2,000 years ago was roaming around and now we have to idol worship him. No, we understand the living presence of Christ. And that's on our hands. That's all around us. That's in the sun above us. And hence why we wear that rosary to remind us of these truths. There's the rosary itself. The beads of the rosary are situated with 54 beads around the main hoop. And five more beads extending to the cross of Christ, totaling 59. The 54 beads on the main hoop are separated into five decads, so five tens or ten beads each, with these beads separated by four beads, totaling 54. I'll just say this, those are all numbers of the hands. So not only is the 59 the sexagesimal system, all of this is encoded on beads, by the way, on a rosary. This is how deep this stuff goes. Uh, the, the, 50, the sex adjustable system, that 59, it, that's, that's right on your hands. But not only is that, all of these, all these things are separated into what? Decads, which is 10, which is what? The 10, you know, 10 fingers, fingers, thumbs of your hands and feet. 
Then not only that, there's five beads that separate the 54 beads. What are the five? Fingers and thumbs of your hand, right? The 54 that are, that's around your neck um, or that you just hold on to, if you will, there's 54 bones in both of your hands, 27 in your left and 27 in your right. So while there are millions of people around the world that wear these rosaries or hold on to them or they do their prayers and they count and they, they you know, that sort of thing. And yet there's probably hardly a single person out there that uses it, that understands its meaning. This is the problem. This is how great traditions fall to shit. This is what ha- this is how this is how you know holy wisdom. Um, when we lose that gnosis, when we lose that holy wisdom, we will also a- end up destroying the um, the culture that is there to pass it on. So it, it becomes infinitely important that we actually re understand these things so that we can resacralize them. And that's what we're doing, and that's why we've adopted them. Though less worn as an amulet or talisman, the rosary for us is but a simple reminder of the daily work that we must undertake and perform in our journey towards him. We wear them as a spiritual keepsake, as a symbolic reminder of us to take up our cross and follow Christ in our own lives. We disdain from ever viewing the rosary as part of our fashion or ever do wear them as jewelry for vanity's sake. That's all ridiculous. The Holy Rosary is worn to acknowledge our total dedication to God Almighty and to the truth way, and life of the Son of God, Lord Jesus Christ. So if you would like to uh, purchase a rosary, we do have the Bibles and rosary packages at the store and stuff like that. And there on the right there, there is the tenets of the order, like I said, that, we'll, that we were working on and we've been working on for far too long because of our situation, but that's okay. So, and my wife was telling me, Part of the pastoral leadership team is telling us that we are going to sell the rosary separate to if you would just like uh, to buy a rosary and that sort of thing. We also might have to change the rosaries because... What's that, baby? As soon as I get my shit together. As soon as my wife gets her shit together. So don't expect that anytime soon. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Once again, this is a little break from what we normally do and I'm actually kind of enjoying it. So let's talk about what... So we did the rosary. Let's talk about what is Gnosticism. Let's try to clear this up for some people very succinctly and in detail, but, you know, uh, straight to the point. Okay. So what is Gnosticism? Why are you guys Gnostics? What does all this mean? The Greek word gnosis is defined simply as knowledge of spiritual mysteries. And our English words know and knowledge are rooted in it. No, by the way, is an anagram for pi. You take the vowels out and it's 314. That's absolutely what it is. So, so um, gnosis is knowledge of spiritual mysteries. It's the most concise, simplest, and truest definition one may give to the term Gnostic. To obtain this divine knowledge requires one to have a total dedication to their spiritual work and faith. As is often said in our order, we do not go to church on Sundays. Our life is a walking meditation on Christ. In the mystical tradition, the spiritual quest we are to undertake is often coined the magnum opus, or great work, and is the journey that every single human being must undergo, whether in this life or in the next. The central theme of our beliefs is that a divine spark or peace of God exists within the center of every human being, and that our goal here on earth is to deliver that spark back to God and return to our true home in the heaven in unity and eternal life with God. Gnostics seek to demonstrate our faith in God by our works here on earth. For as we are told, faith without works is dead, James 2.26. The spiritual knowledge obtained and ascertained by our adepts is thus freely given to worthy initiates through the labors of our evangelism. 
Let it be made plainly clear in this introduction that the greatest knowledge or gnosis that man may attain on earth is to have supreme wisdom of the will of God and to understand fully what he wishes of us. This knowledge is ultimately centered in one's heart, and no knowledge gained may be worthwhile unless it is grounded and rooted in love, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. Amen. As Manly Palmer Hall says, it is not enough that our codes be true, they must also be beautiful. If learning does not teach us to love, we learn without understanding. Amen. Max Heindel, uh, Rosicrucian, speaking in the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception, touts a central idea often expressed in occultism. And that is the first and central requisite the aspirant, the aspirant to occult knowledge must possesses an unswerving desire, a burning thirst for knowledge, a zeal that allows no obstacle to conquer it. But the supreme motive for seeking this occult knowledge must be an ardent desire to benefit humanity, entirely disregarding self in order to work for others. Unless prompted by that motive, occult knowledge is dangerous. You see what he's saying here? This is the core of actually learning, understanding, gnosis, all of it. If you try to pursue this shit for selfish gains, God will respond appropriately. The only way that you can actually receive divine wisdom directly from God in this Gnostic sense, in this Kabbalistic sense, is exactly what Max Heindel is saying here. You have to have an unswerving desire. You must have a burning thirst for knowledge, a zeal that no obstacle to conquer. But the supreme motive must be to benefit humanity entirely disregarding yourself. This is exactly what Christ means when he says, forgo thyself, right? you know, abandon thyself and take up the cross and follow me. That's exactly what I mean. Deny thyself because you're saying, I'm not doing any of this for personal gain or money or wealth or anything. I'm doing it because it needs to be done because it's the right thing to do because humanity needs help. That's what a Gnostic is. That's what a Freemason is. Put simply, divine, put simply the divine knowledge that Gnostics seek is that which allows us to align with the, with the eternal divine fire and sacred heart of Jesus Christ. Any seeker whose goal becomes anything but this will find his path meandering wildly and aloofly, and his labors will ultimately not produce the fruit that he seeks. Uh, one of the common themes found within the Gnostic tradition is that Gnostics adhere to no specific church dogma or set of beliefs, and this is true. Like, for instance, those that would be practiced through an organized faith's catechism, or those which would be codified into a text, like the one we're currently reading from. With this stated, it would therefore seem contrary and almost antagonistic to the tradition of Gnosticism to have a book or order of tenets of guidelines that our order follows. What we wish to present to the reader or to you guys today herein reveals no such contradiction. The order that we wish to outline, and we do in the sermons and in this text and things like that, this order this, that we wish to outline is simply that of the natural order that God has created for us and his divine children. Gnostics, see, Gnostics simply recognize the inherent spiritual directive given to us by the Almighty, and we profess resolutely that this directive has been given to us all throughout our experiential world. This directive, and, and we've talked about this, death and resurrection, that concept it's not even concept as if it's like conceived in the mind. Well, it's conceived in the mind of God, but it's an axiom. It's a truth. It's an universal truth. That process of death and resurrection can be found everywhere. And that's exactly what our soul is to undergo. That's exactly what masonry teaches. 
Okay, so when we say, hey, you can look out into the world and find this truth and proof of God, this is absolutely, absolute facts. From the sun above our head to the hands laid before us, everything around us, or everything around us speaks to this eternal logos. This text seeks to simply call to mind and heart this underpinning divine order and reestablish it once again for the betterment of our members, our congregation, and ultimately for mankind. As Gnostics, we do not, excuse me, as Gnostics, we do not subscribe to any church dogma, but we, indu- we do indeed follow dogma. We don't, we don't like uh, sign up to this church dogma and you got to do this and you got to do that, but we absolutely do follow dogma. What is dogma? Dogma is defined as a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. God Almighty is our ultimate authority, and there is and shall be no other authority but him. And the incontrovertible truths of his principles, his dogmas, are writ large across his creation. Amen. He has authored his laws for man to follow, and those laws are centered on morality and ethics, i.e. matters of the heart. His laws are immutable and perfect, incorruptible and eternal, indissoluble and ever-present. Just as the word dogma proclaims, God does indeed have a quote-unquote set of principles that are incontrovertibly true. And as Gnostics, we seek to know this incontrovertible truth and align ourselves with it in every way we can. This way becomes our dogma. I don't think I mentioned this in the text, but the, the Amish actually have this sort of thing where they don't really have a bunch of like written laws and things that they do. I think they call, what do they call the Ordnung, which is like a, a Dutch term or a German term or something like that, which basically says there's sort of like a natural order and that you don't really need a hierarchy to follow this in, in, in this respect, right? You know, the, wom- the women have their job and the men have their job and the boys have their job, that sort of thing. So this is sort of what we seek, this natural inherent order that we can extract directly from the creation itself. We recognize, we recognize the world as our classroom and as the place our souls have come to learn about God, our perceived separation from him and our ultimate re- reunion with him. God has placed the meaning of life all around us, above us, within us, and right in front of us. The, er- exp- <laughs> the experiential world informs us of the glory of our creator all around it. Within every whip of the wind and every call of the shrew, the mystical path calling the Gnostic and initiate forth is one centered on awakening one to this state of consciousness in which he is able to recognize the inherent intelligence and beauty within and behind all created things. And, um, well, we'll skip that. The Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ defines Gnosticism very specifically, very simply, and without any baggage or confusion. What is Gnosticism? It's the search for spiritual knowledge. It's what it is. Nothing more and nothing less. Esotericist William Kingsland sums up the basics of true Gnosis as this. It is my endeavor now to show how that supreme knowledge which I am here referring to as the ancient wisdom or Gnosis is embodied in the Christian scriptures, albeit sadly overlaid with the precepts and doctrines of men. What is going on out there? My wife doesn't have her shit together. <laughs> I'm not using the term gnosis as applying merely to the tenets of certain Gnostic sects, which were more or less in evidence in the early centuries of the Christian era, 
But I am using the term gnosis in connection with the definite superknowledge which can be traced back to the most remotest of ages and the oldest scriptures of which we have any literal records, and which was taught by initiates, adepts, and masters of ancient wisdom in the inner circles of these mysteries and mystery cults which are known to have existed in Egypt and elsewhere, even in the remotest of times. That is the sense in which the term Gnostic was originally understood. It is the mystical knowledge which affects rebirth into full consciousness of one's divine natures and powers as a son of God. This is something that's inherent within the creation, that our creator, through Gnosis, we experience and we discover. The scriptures are actually just trying to point to this inherent, organic, natural religious process. That's what they're there for. And this is what's completely lost by essentially all of modern Christianity. Hence why we have to stand alone. When we speak of Gnosticism, we do not use this term to conjure up any specific ideas or notions that are often associated with certain Gnostic sects that have existed throughout history, i.e. the Demiurge, Decedism, Strict Asceticism, Cosmological Dualism, Matter being inherently evil, Life is an imprisonment. We don't teach or tout any of these things. And so we actually go so far as to as speak directly against them passionately. Okay, so what I'm saying is the very thing that most people claim Gnostics are, when you actually get to the core of Gnosticism, is the exact opposite. Guess what? The exact same thing is happening with Masonry right now. Most people go to Masonry and they're like, those are the evil guys, those are the secret societies, those are the bad guys, there's where the new world order is. And what? And as, as I'm going to show with this church and as the you know upcoming lectures and the books and things like that, your opinion is the exact opposite. As I've said, masonry is not the problem. Masonry is the solution. Everybody's got it backwards, and therefore, it makes it impossible for people to really understand what's going on. This is no different than Gnosticism. Most people, you ask Gnostics, it's demiurge, and it's dualism, and it matters evil, and we're a prison. And there are loads of Gnostics that say that shit. And I'm here to say that they're full of shit. And I don't make a lot of friends doing that, but I don't make a lot of friends anyway. So that's okay. <laughs> um, let me say this again. The Gnostic label is intentionally and skillfully being utilized by our order as an umbrella term to encapsulate all the great mystery school traditions with a focus on the experiential process of divine reception and personal revelation. Experience. Experience. These traditions include spiritual doctrines from faiths and philosophical schools across the world and venture into the works of syncretism, comparative mythology, alchemy, hermeticism, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, theosophy, and many such other mystical orders. The mystery school tradition, or what we herein refer to simply as Gnosis, is heralded to be at the root of every ancient society who had reached any level of high civilization and had come to recognize man's ultimate purpose here. Any, any civilization or culture that figured out what was going on, what the purpose of life is, the teleology, where we come from, where we're going, where we're going, when you get to the core of it, you will find these universal truths that we're teaching here and that have been taught by other orders such as Freemasonry. C.C. Zane, author C.C. Zane, speaking on the mystery school tradition, has this to say about its antiquity and ubiquity. The rites and pictorial representations that have seemed significant to an important nucleus in the social system of every ancient nation boasting even a degree of civilization are so wild, widely disseminated that their remnants may be found in remote Tartary and Tibet, 
among the almond-eyed children of the flowery kingdom in Japan, on the slopes of the snow-capped Himalayas, beside the turbid Ganges, amid the desert sands that covered the buried cities of Gobi, and by the revered Tigris and Euphrates. They are found also at the foot of the Caucasus, Caucasian passes by the shores of the Red Sea and the fertile valley of the Nile and amid the ruins of classic Greece and Rome, amid Gaul, ancient Gaul and primitive Ireland and crossing the restless expanse where the wide Atlantic rolls, we confront the same hoary emblems in Peru, in the Mississippi Valley and in the Yucatan. This is exactly what we're saying. This esotericist is saying, when you go across the world, what you will find is what we call that golden thread, that you know the thing that you can compare the universal truths within all of them, and they all point to this understanding of the, the universality of God and that it's something natural within the creation itself. Hence why you could go anywhere. You don't need a Bible. You don't need any emblems. You don't need any symbols. And you could extract this wisdom directly from source. This is what Gnostics do. Then when we do extract it from source, what we do is we go back into these ancient texts and scriptures and show it. Show it's like, no, no. All these Christians thought that this is what the Christian Bible was. It's a history book, and this is the story of Christ as he walked on the earth. And what we're showing is that they're dead wrong about their, about their, you know, their um, beliefs, and we're going to show you what it actually is. And then, so, then we're going to go so far as to say, hey, guess what? You can find this around the world. And that's the beautiful thing about the Gnostic tradition, because it opens the very doors to the holy wisdom, to, you know, to um, basically finding brotherhood with all these different civilizations and cultures that the Christian religion today shuts the doors on. Well, we're going to open those fucking doors whether they like it or not. Get it? The, the claim has been repeated throughout the ages that the mystery school tradition has been known and practiced across the plain of this earth for many moons, reaching far back into prehistory and quite possibly has been known since time immemorial as is proclaimed by many Freemason scholars and mystics. So as I said last week, when Masons, what Masons claim they are and what they're doing is exactly what Masonry is. And the only way that you're going to find that out is if you do what? Is if you let go of your preconceived notions and bias and actually go in and study the, the genuine article itself and be honest with it. Then you'll find out that, holy shit, what these guys are passing on is ancient wisdom that we don't even know of great antiquity. We don't even know where it comes from. And it's still passed on today to the people who are interested in finding that information. Once again, yet another reason why we opened this church. The Gnostic or devoted initiate of the mysteries is he or she who wishes to truly understand and know God's purpose and his will, for which a mere belief or unprovable explanation is not sufficient. The Gnostic is not happy with just mere beliefs or unprovable explanations for things. What we want is proofs and the truth of things, not, not, not men's opinion. The Gnostic seeks to know and have an experience with our Creator. The Gnostic seeks knowledge that does not simply philosophically settle on the necessity of God for the explanation of our creation, but also seeks to prove his existence. This is the thing that most people don't understand because they want to hold beliefs. God is provable. He's given us the tools, the, the, the metaphysical language, the supernatural language, geometry, math, lots of other things we could talk about to prove that there is an intelligent force behind creation. But not only that, that you can have a direct experience with that 
intelligent force, and that intelligent force can bequeath you knowledge, gift you things. This is what one of Christ's messages is all about. is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. This knowledge may be attained, but again, it must be stressed that if one's path towards the Almighty is not centered in the compassion of the heart, one's journey will ultimately lead to nothing but dead ends. Again, it will be reiterated that the greatest knowledge that can be known and understood in this world is knowledge of the heart. It is of no coincidence that the English word earth is an anagram for heart. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 2.28-2.29, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. This is such a powerful couple lines here because it's what is circumcision? It's cutting something around. To, circum, to circle is to circle, incision is to cut. And what, do you, what is this? It's an p- unbelievably powerful thing that, that Paul is saying here. He's like, you cut out all the nonsense, all the noise, all the bullshit in your world. You cut it all out and you focus on what? that love and compassion in the heart. That's how the energy is raised. You have to pass the lion's gate, which means that energy will never be raised up into your stupid noggin unless you go through that heart. It's not in the book. This isn't to say that the Holy Bible and Scripture isn't a beautiful document and what I consider the greatest piece of literature ever created, and it is a fantastic source of holy wisdom. But at the end of the day, if what you're seeking is not in the dumb letter. It's in the spirit who doesn't praise men like the Pope and the bishops and the church fathers. You don't praise men. You praise God because God is the one that, is the, that actually gives you those answers and gifts those things to you. This is, what, this is what Gnostics understand. We recognize that the message that God has for us is ultimately scribed into our hearts. St. Paul even proclaimed that his epistles or letters were written in them as well. Forever, the sacred heart of Jesus is our guide through this life. Our Gnostic order seeks to circumcise. That is, cut out everything except the love and compassion of the heart. For circumcision is that of the heart. That is to say, love is transcendental and eternal and thus is in the spirit and not in the letter, inwardly, not outwardly, and is not of men but of God. We seek to align our hearts to Christ and seek out the will of God in every way possible. This is the core precept upon which we teach, preach, evangelize, and act out in our world. The gnosis that we seek is that of a divine import, and such knowledge is not given or revealed by another man. I could tell you all the things in the world. I could show you all the stuff. I could, you know, walk you through all the things and that sort of stuff, and you will need that education, but ultimately you will have to come to these truths in yourself, within your vessel, in your own heart. It's the same thing I was just having a conversation with somebody this morning. It's the same thing with flat earth. You can put all the proofs. You can put all the, you know, all the evidence in front of somebody. You can be like, look, we can geometrically prove, and it doesn't matter if you give them all the proofs and evidence because ultimately they have to come to that conclusion within their own spirit and in their own heart, period. That's how truth is actually come to. The gnosis that we seek is, is that of a divine import, and such knowledge is not given or revealed by another man but is gifted from God Almighty. The study of Kabbalah itself is recognized as gifts, blessings, or receptions given by the Creator, as Kabbalah means to receive. Reception and revealing is how man obtains wisdom in this world. People think that you figure shit out, or like, I'm smart and I invented stuff. You didn't, you didn't do anything. 
<laughs> all you did was put yourself in the position for God to say, okay, I'll give you this now. That's what people, this is why people get cocky. It's like, look at all this shit that I did. Any musician knows that if you wrote a good song, it was fucking given to you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So this is the thing that makes you get complete, it takes your ego completely out of the way and makes you recognize that you are a conduit, a vessel for divine wisdom if you wish to be, you know? Reception and revealing is how man obtains wisdom in this world. It is earned and given when the student is ready to receive and as we cannot accept what we have not prepared ourselves to receive. Amen. The pursuit of gnosis or the receiving found within the Kabbalistic tradition is the one and same universal religious experience that man has had since the dawn of time. Gnosis is direct insight, direct experience, and direct revelation. Bishop Stephen Holler proclaims that Gnosticism is grounded in the experience of Gnosis, which is the salvific and revelatory experience of transcendence. Now, we can have a revelatory experience of transcendence. Lots of people do that all the time in certain, certain whatever it is. You know, having a baby, taking a psychedelic experience, or, what, you know, there's lots of things you can do. Doing a fast for four days and that sort of thing. But ultimately, what the Gnostic does is goes into those transcendent experiences and actually brings back knowledge, actually brings back wisdom because it has been given to him by God and puts himself in the position of learning and dedicating his entire life to, um, you know, having that experience. Though the experience of transcendence, transcendence is a pursuit of the Gnostic, this is not all that is sought. The true Gnostic experience includes obtaining divine wisdom and provides added clarity and meaning to the world and helps others to see the light behind and within all things. This knowledge is that which elevates mankind's understanding of his world and his predicament, allows people to see past lies or wicked deceptions, or informs on the deeper meanings of scripture, language, symbolism, and life itself. This is the, this is the Gnostic pursuit. This is what any religious teacher should actually be doing is actually giving you insights so that you can understand the shit yourself. Can you name one Christian preacher that's doing that with the Bible at all? No, most of them. In fact, I would say nearly all of them are rejecting the very tools to help you understand what's going on in there. They're doing the exact opposite of what their job entails. Hence why apparently I had to pick up the slack a little bit and start the church. That's kind of a joke. We learned about Gnosis from the words of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the most prominent example is given in Matthew 13, 11. Where he says specifically, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. That line alone tells you, hey, Jesus has a secret order. He's got a secret society. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven is given. It is a gift. We receive it. We understand that the gifts of revelation are bequeathed to man when he is fitting and ready to receive them. Man's life is a preparation for this reception. It's a preparation for death. For this divine revealing is how man is given entrance into God's eternal kingdom. We are given the task to ask, seek, and knock, and prepare ourselves to have the wisdom opened onto us. This is our great work. Before God allows man entrance to heaven above, God must be revealed to man below here on earth. No man enters heaven through the approvals or proclamations of another man, nor by ascending a ladder of degrees in some mystic organization. Say that about masonry. Even you could go through all the degrees in masonry. That doesn't mean that you've actually had the Gnostic experience at all. Nor by earning merits and awards through a seminary, nor by the baptisms and blessings of the priests and pastors. If you come and do a baptism here and we dunk you under some water, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to heaven now. 
That's just you making the steps to say, I am on this path. I'm going to wear that rosary because I am on this path. I'm going to go do the baptism because I am on this path. I am going to go absorb this literature because I am on the path. I am going to do the meditation and the study and the prayer and all that sort of stuff because I am on that path. And then when God sees that you are actually legitimate, actually full-hearted, then he's going to start responding to you. Um, only the creator, for us, the, 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 the creator has the keys to unlock and open such doors, period. No man has the, those keys. We are reborn through God alone, as he, only he has the power to give us such blessing. Only through Christ do we receive eternal life. And we must recognize his eternality and transcendence here in this life, and as this life is part of our immortality. I'm going to read from, once again, I've read uh, this before, but I love this. I just love this. This is Brother Albert Pike reminds us of this truth so poetically. Masonry does not occupy itself with crying down this world with its splendid beauty, its thrilling interests, its glorious works, its noble and holy affections, nor exhort us to detach our hearts from this earthly life as empty, fleeting, and unworthy, and fix them upon heaven as the only sphere deserving the love of the loving or the meditation of the wise. It teaches, Masonry teaches us that man, you and I have high duties to perform here and a high destiny to fulfill on this earth. That this world is not merely the portal to another, and that this life, though not our only one, is an integral one, and the particular one with which we are here meant to be concerned. That the present, who's in the present? Christ. Christ is in the present. He represents the present. Now that you know that, let's read this next line and notice that he capitalized present here. That the present is our scene of action and the future for speculation and for trust. That man was sent upon this earth to live in it, to enjoy it, to study it, to love it, to embellish it, to make the most of it. He is sent into this world not to be constantly hankering after, dreaming of, preparing for another, as so many of these Gnostics do, quote-unquote Gnostics, but to do his duty and fulfill his destiny on earth and the here and fucking now, to do all that lies in his power to improve it, to render it a scene of elevated happiness to himself, to those around him, to those who come after him. Guess what? You might come after you. You might be down here again. So what are you going to do? Do everything in your power to make sure that this earth is blessed for not only your children, but also for possibly your next self. His life here, um, his life here is part of immortality, and this world also is amongst the stars. Amen, Brother Albert Pike. As Gnostics, we celebrate one God, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, and one holy church. We profess that there is only one united church of God Almighty, and this church is indeed the entirety of the living creation itself. Everywhere we wish to stop and pray or preach and teach is for us an established place of worship. So funny when we were, we were looking at the IRS qualifications for 501c3 and all that bullshit and stuff like that. There's like these qualifications and they talk about you have to have an established place of worship. And I'm like... You mean like the human body? You mean like all of earth? You mean like every, every part of our consciousness? What are you talking about, IRS? <laughs> so we know God created the entirety of the earth and heavens. And thus everywhere in his creation has been by divine right ratified and made fit for his worship. Everywhere we may roam in this vast earth is considered the church of God Almighty. And the canopy, dome, or roof of this church is heaven itself. Amen. As we often say in this order, Christ is the church. And just as Christ announces, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. 
It's not given to men and authorities and government figures. All power is given to the mighty God and the, and the intermediary, mediator. As the Apostle Paul further instructs us, the members of the church body or the living souls dedicated to the faith are what also creates the church. You and I create the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 to 15 instructs us, but all these worketh that one, but all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severely as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body. Let's say that again. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into the one spirit? For the, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? See what he's saying here? We all make up the church. The church is everywhere we go. Because we recognize the church as one, united and holy, our order totally and completely rejects any and all denominationalism or any of these Christians that want to separate themselves from other denominations and then, and then act like hoity-toity about it or all self-righteous about it. That's one of the most disgusting, pardon my language, one of the most disgusting fucking things about Christianity today. I'm Orthodox, so I won't pray with the Catholic. I'm the Baptist, so I won't go and hang out with the blah, 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 blah. All of you are breaking up Christ's church. You're claiming the very things that are saying in the Bible about one body and it's all Christ, that sort of thing. You're basically saying, no, that's not true. We're going to correct the record here, okay? Because we recognize the church is one, our, uh, one united and holy, our order totally rejects any and all denominationalism. We find the entire notion that Christ, that, that any Christian has fragmented Christ's church due to arguments over scripture, beliefs, or otherwise to be totally and completely absurd. It is. Though we understand fractions may have happened throughout history due to the wickedness of the organized faiths, we get that, and the corruptions of officials and that sort of thing, this is well recognized and understood. It still must be made clear that no man is in control of God's kingdom. God's church is not commanded by the dictates and mandates of men claiming palpable authority or divine rule. That's a joke. That's a damn joke. And the New Testament tells you this all day long. Gnosticism is not a denomination. It purports no divisions or separation when it comes to the sacred unity of Christ's church. Name another church that says that. We furthermore exalt and take very seriously that our established place of, place of worship is itself the human body. And as I'm showing on the screen here, cultures around the world understood this because they understood that Gnostic revelation behind all, the, all these, these great traditions. Our established place of worship is the, it's the human body. And this is where the divine spark or seed of God rests. Our bodies are the temple of the living God. And we have been made in his image, just as we are instructed in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. Our physical addresses are our bodies. It's the temple of our bodies. Our bodies are where we live. We are not our bodies, and we do not own them. We recognize that God owns everything. Our bodies are the property of God, as God owns all things, and as all things come from him, and to him all things will be returned. Any other understanding of your situation right now, you know, on earth here and things like that, 
any other understanding beside what I just read is essentially insane. It's essentially um, psychopathic. I mean, just downright insane. Our bodies have been merely given to us by God to command in our temporary experience in the material realm. God Almighty has established these truths and codified it into holy written numerous verses, such as 1 Corinthians 6.19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? It says it right there. I always laugh. It's like, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. It's not yours. <laughs> not your body. It's God's. It's nobody else's. Nobody else has a, has a right to, you know, of course, um, whatever, um, you know, you know, take you, overtake you, or, you know, violate your personal space and things like that. But um, we also understand it's God's, and that's why nobody has a right to violate it. Um, God has breathed the breath of life into our nostrils. And we only exist because he allows it. The etymology of the word spirit leads us directly to the word breath. And thus the air we all breathe and share and breathe is God's Holy Spirit. The air that we're breathing is spirit. It's all around us. The air and wind that blows over the rooftops and through the trees amidst the mountain passes, across the arid deserts and up the currents of the Atlantic Ocean is the one and same breath of the Holy One God that hovered above the dark waters in the beginning of creation. Genesis 1-2. This breath existed before material creation. Read it. The breath of God, the spirit of God existed before the material creation itself and now exists within us. The breath, of this air that we breathe goes all the way back to the very beginning. Think about that. We breathe this breath into our lungs, thus enlivening us and animating us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Thus, every breath we take is sacred. Our lungs... Hold within them the Holy Spirit, our bodies are the temple in which we pray and worship. The creation itself is our church. Nature is the classroom from which we study. And the masterpiece that is the authorized King James Holy Bible is our Holy Scripture. As Gnostics, we are dedicated to unearthing the cavernous wisdom that has been cryptically concealed within the stories of the good book. And there's hardly another, and I'm, I don't mean to say this in any sort of cocky way or anything like that. It's, it's really sort of, a, I'm saying this almost in desperation or something like that. We're really the only church out there, one of the only churches out there that's actually making a full-time effort to try to unveil what's cryptically concealed in there. Most churches don't even know that that, that book is encrypted. And, and, and lots of churches will fully deny it and, and claim it as Satan worship and all that sort of stuff. And that just goes to show you how far off they are from God Almighty. A true interpretation of the symbolic language. You guys know this is facts now. A true interpretation of the symbolic language, parables, allegories, numbers, constellational correlations, and obscure references within both the Old and New Testaments may not be possibly understood or grasped without knowledge of the holy sciences practiced and studied within the Gnostic tradition. This point cannot be over-emphatically stressed. The greatest issue plaguing contemporary fundamentalist Christianity is the complete abandonment and rejection of the divine sciences that underpin the stories of the Holy Bible. They reject them all. On the face. Did you guys just see Yesterday, apparently, it was Dean Odell and Greg Locke that were, they were debating about the shape of the earth and all this other stuff, and it was this big thing, and there was like thousands of people watching them. Those guys are morons. 
I hope they listen to it too. Those guys are unbelievably deluded fools that are still locked in a mindset of literalism and fundamentalism, and they would reject numerology and gematria and astrology. It goes to show you that how wh what is their spiritual life really like? It's empty and void. What they did is sign up for a belief system which they don't even understand, and then they tout it and purport it as if they're some conduit for God. They're bumbling fucking morons. And actually, they're doing an enormous disservice to true Christianity. Quote me. Reading again from William Kingsland, we may expand further on why there is no contradiction or issue with adopting the Christian scriptures as followers of the mystery school tradition. The Gnostic sects of the early Christian centuries were so virulently attacked by some of the dogma-making church fathers, derived their teachings from the mystery cults, but at the same time, many of them claimed the Christian scriptures as an authority for their teachings. Gradually, however, as Christian doctrine became hardened and more and more dogmatic, and the government of the church fell into the hands of prelates ambitious for world power and quarreling among themselves for precedence, this higher knowledge becomes a heresy, and what records are left of it are mainly the misinterpretations of its bitter opponents among the church fathers. Basically, what he's saying is that the Christian authorities are actually an authority for the mystery school tr tradition and the teachings. These dogma-making church fathers, everything from the, the intense literalism of baptism to, or the Baptists to the Catholics to the Orthodox, etc., They've, their dogma has, has, that has been brought to them by men has been so cemented and hardened and all of the mysteries actually thrown out that all you have now is basically just a shell. And this is what you're, this is what you're when you sign up to those churches, you're praying to. A shell. As we teach, show, and prove out with the educational material that we provide at our order, such as these regular sermons, the videos, the books... All that sort of stuff. The Christian scriptures are indeed a recapitulation of the universal mystery religion, practiced and understood since great, great antiquity. The church fathers of today have not the capacity to understand the pure esoteric brilliance behind holy writ, and thus they and their tradition continue to pass on a pathetic, flimsy, and feeble imitation of this true wisdom. And let me say that again. that All the church fathers and Christian churches today have not the capacity to understand the pure esoteric brilliance behind holy writs, and thus they and their tradition continue to pass on a pathetic, flimsy, and feeble imitation of this true wisdom. And because they do that, they actually cause more harm than good. This initial wisdom was alleged to be derived from the mystery school teachings, which celebrates at its core the one true natural religion existing within the fabric of creation itself, given directly to man by God. And this is why we can go into those, you know, the indigenous cultures and things like that and be like, look, they, they, they focus on the pole star and it's like the, the silver gate and the golden gate and there's the cross and there's the, fl the flying eagle that heads up to heaven and oh my God, it's just the exact same thing in a different cultural pretense. It's all there. But, but modern Christianity actually blinds you from seeing it. Why? Because they don't understand the one true natural religion. They don't understand the mystery school tradition at all. And not only that, they refuse to understand it. See the problem? Because this teaching is lost, so are the inroads and pathways to understanding the deeper meaning of the good book. And thus, so are the, so are the hearts and minds of so many of the followers of Christianity. I think, I think we all see that today. Christianity, modern Christianity, has essentially become a cult of idol worship.
This ubiquitous, ever-present in natural religion, quoted here by esotericists, his esotericist, uh, his name's Thomas Vaughn, Eugen Eugenius Phile Philolethes, I think is how you say that, is his pseudonym. This, uh, this ever-present and natural religion is the one that we as Gnostics practice and preach today. He says here, the religion we profess is the best that ever was, will, or can be. And whoever lives up to it can never perish eternally, for it is the law of nature, which is the law of God, for God is nature. It is to love God above all things and our neighbor as ourself. Pretty basic shit. That is the true primitive Catholic and universal religion agreed to be so in all times and ages and confirmed by our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, who tells us in all these things hang all the law and the prophets. What's the, relig what's the religious tenet, this really complex thing that God placed inherently within the creation that's centered in the morality and ethics of you being a basic human fucking being? Worship God. There is a creator, an intelligent creator that does love us and has his hand in these things. Worship that God. And then also treat your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> a whole uh, several hundred page book to basically say that. And guess what? We can't even get that right. <laughs> as we are a Christian order, we teach that the New Testament is the par excellent text for understanding the mysteries. The New Testament upturns the old Jewish claim of supremacy and makes clear the universality and availability of God within all peoples. St. Paul again informs us in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. The mysteries belong to anyone who is fitting, willing, and prepared spiritually to receive them regardless of status, tongue, race, or otherwise. It don't matter what, what cloth you're cut from. If you want to pursue the mysteries, if you actually want to climb the mountain, if you want to knock and ask, it shall be opened and you shall receive. Bond nor free, Jew or Gentile. Not many Jews are doing this, of course, but... The Christian scriptures are specifically encoded within them, the great alchemical and mystical sciences. The Christian scriptures are specifically encoding within them the great alchemical and mystical sciences, including the seven classic liberal arts, as well as such erudite subjects as astrobiology, astrotheology, gematria, and Kabbalah. The true mystical import and wisdom of the scriptures cannot possibly be understood without a foundation in these subjects. And this is what I, this is what we teach here. This is what we go over week after week. And we'll, like I said, when we do the basics, um, we'll go over the basics of this. The zodiac band, the zodiac, the, the patterns of the stars, um, uh, numerology, the, the you know, Kabbalah, Gamatria, all of all of the things that we utilize here, we'll go over a, a basic um, you know, over overview of them. Okay. Once again from William Kingsland, the great esotericist. Um, the traditional dogmas of the church which have come down to us through the centuries are gross materializations of the real teachings as to the spiritual nature of man as contained in the Gnosis. That sentence alone pretty much sums up everything that's going on right now. You have these Christian churches that take all this stuff literally on the face and they're gross materializations of the materializations, meaning they're based in the physicality as opposed to the metaphysicality of the true nature of the spiritual nature of man. They're, they're completely, um, but you know, in the, 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 the true meanings are lost. The, this lost meaning is taught to everybody, and then we're in the pickle that we're in. The dogma of God has been replaced by the dogma of man, and mankind has suffered ever since. From this faulty man-made dogma, supreme ignorance and folly arises in the reading of Holy Scripture. And you can basically see that by anybody who's doing most 
anybody who's doing scriptural analysis online. Divine wisdom has been occulted within the good book, and this wisdom has been carefully and expertly hidden within its pages and stories. In order to understand such sacred occulted verities, we must dive headfirst into the murky and muddy waters of our own incomprehension. We must pry open the oysters of our queries and find the pearls of divine truth and then swim back to the surface with our finds. As Proverbs reminds us, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Pope St. Pius, Pius, whatever, um, the, what is it, the fifth there? Progress of dogmas is in reality nothing but corruption of dogmas. <laughs> Progress of dogmas is, in reality, nothing but corruption of dogmas. It's exactly what's going on. I absolutely reject the heretical doctrine of the evolution of a dogma as passing from one meaning to another and different from the sense in which the church originally held it. As far as we can tell, of course, this is absolute speculation, the original church did have these meanings. And ultimately, as we know, wherever light is the greatest, that's where evil is going to congregate and try to destroy it. And what's happened over the years is the church has let evil in. They have. And we can see it in how the church and how Christianity is practiced today. Okay, we're going to pass the basket around, and then I will finish reading the rest of this. And then next week we're going to go on to, um, we're going to do Matthew, I think, well, maybe we'll do the basics or we'll do Matthew 24. So, uh, or 25, I think, is what we're on. So, if you would like to support the fine work that we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, you can support our work by uh, subscribing, uh, becoming a subscribe star. We have PayPal, we have Venmo, we have Buy Me a Coffee, we have Cash App, and you can also send any letters or anything like that to Gnostic Academy, 7781, County Road 3440, Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. Thank you so much to all the people that do support what we do here and that come to, uh, you know, church every Sunday and things like that. We really appreciate it. We really do. Um, do you guys, before we move on, I want to say something. There's so many people over the years have basically and have 
outright just told me this, but I, I mean, I just know this from, you know, talking to people and experience and things like that, that, you know, that they were raised or they were reared under some Christian doctrine, right? Or they went to the Catholic church or something like that. And though there was good things in it, there was, they, they had a sense that there was like, there's something transcendent in it or whatever like that, but it never made any sense to them. Nothing was ever explained. It was just all a bunch of dogma that you had to follow. You had to do this, eat the fucking cookie. Well, why, why is this the body and blood of Christ? Any of that stuff. None of that was ever explained to anybody. Yet a lot of people will still have this feeling like there's still something there. There's still something going on. Well, your instincts were right as a child is what I'm here to say. Just like mine were. I was like, you know, I, I never rejected any of this stuff, but I was always, and I want to say never rejected it, but I was never like adhered to it because I was always like, well, there's something there, but it's all screwed up. And, you're, and what I'm here to say is that if you have that feeling as a young adult or a, or a child or anything like that, and we, you were, your parents were dragging you to Catholic Mass and it's like, kneel and then stand up and then kneel and then say this and do as I say and that sort of shit, and you're like, oh, there's something here, but this is all fucked up. You were right. Your instincts were right. Okay? Now what we need to do and what this church is dedicated to do is, is clear all of that from your mind. Clear all of that stuff that was like the trauma and all this stuff, you know, that basically you're, you're looking at Christianity and, and, and taking the, the, the understanding and explanation of it from these men and these, these, these denominations and stuff like that. What we wish to do is do this sort of purification process and just say, wipe all that clean. Wipe it all clean because as we can tell, this is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. These people have no idea what they're talking about. That's okay. That's okay, though. So now, now that we do have an understanding, we do have that foundation, we can teach the basics, now let's go into it with a fresh heart and a fresh mind. And what you'll see, just as I did, it's absolutely fucking beautiful. It's amazing. It's next level amazing. It's to the point where it absolutely will raise your consciousness to levels of things that you didn't even know existed as 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 I is what happened to me. You know, I didn't even know gamatria was a thing. I mean, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know it was, you know, that sort of thing. And by studying these things, it was like, God was like, oh, it is. Oh, it is. And because I spent years being like, well, that's all bullshit. I'm not listening to these guys. That's all bullshit. Oh, this bishop over here and this pastor over here and this priest over here. You got nothing. Explain the Trinity to me. Oh, this is a body and mind and so No, no, no. Explain it to me so I can understand it. Even if it takes me a while to get it. They couldn't do it. They still can't do it. You could go over to, you know, like the Orthodox and their discord and stuff like that and ask them what the Trinity is and you'll get a thousand different explanations. That shows us that... The men that have been there tasked, in this sense, to bring Christianity to the, to the contemporary society have failed. Have failed. Okay? So our church, the, the dedication of this church is like, okay, let's clear all that. Let's, let's, let's virginize this, the mind and the heart and, and wipe away all that damn nonsense that you were inundated with. And let's look at it with fresh eyes. And if you do, I think you're going to see that there's unbelievable beauty there. And the rosary is one of those things that shows it. The rosary, just by its math, shows us like, oh my God, we're proportioned to the sun and we can map the sun and we can actually mathematically track the sun on our fingers and then our hands are, you know, et cetera. It just, it just blooms your consciousness. This is exactly what I mean by flat earthers have plateaued. They've plateaued. It's like, I'm on flat earth now and I figured out the lies. You just started, bitch. You started at square one, okay? And so this is what we're dedicated to here at the church, okay? All right, thank you all to all the people that do support the fine work that we do. We, we, we love you very much, okay? 
The path, let's keep going. The pathways to higher knowledge, which are begotten through Gnosis, personal revelation, and Kabbalah have, have been thoroughly severed by the modern fundamentalist churches. The entire structure of the Christian doctrine as it is contemporarily taught by most organized faith has damned the waterways of personal revelation, has strangled and suffocated the windpipe inhaling the divine breath, and through its lack of imagination, foolish literalism, and superstitious fatuity have prevented the common man from gaining any true and palatable spiritual insight into the good book. And the proof of that is in the pudding today. It is no wonder why we see such a mass ignorance of the Holy Bible's true esoteric meanings when the very tools and branches of mystical sciences needed to unlock the secrets of the Holy Bible are considered demonic and divinatory by most attendees of the organized faith. From Catholic to Greek Orthodox, from Southern Baptist to Seventh-day Adventist, the story remains the same. Anything occult is demonic. Numerology, devil worshippers. Kabbalah, that's for the Satanists. Gematria, that's playing with numbers. You see what's happening? Our friend Bonnie, who hadn't gone to church in like the longest time, she lives in uh, on a, <laughs> she lives on Lanai in the islands, and so her friend was going to church. And uh, Bonnie has been um, great astrologer; has been studying astrology since the early seventies, you know. So long time now she's been studying astrology, and she's a flat earther and stuff like that. Um, but she said she went to this Christian church. And she hadn't been to church in a long time, and her friend was going, so she went with her. And immediately she walks in, the pastor starts berating astrology. <laughs> and Bonnie was just like, oh my gosh, this guy. But to me, what we said to her was like, well, that just shows that God has an unbelievable sense of humor. God is, God is hilarious, right? You hadn't gone into a Christian church as an astrologer forever, now knowing that the entire book is <clears throat> astrotheological, and you go into a Christian church, and what is the guy that's there to actually help you understand what the good book means? Astrology bad, okay? <laughs> so, once again, the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ is going to clarify that for people. It is well understood that all things beautiful, good, and divine may be in the wrong hands perverted and inverted. Let's say that again. It is well understood that all things beautiful, good, and divine, divine may be in the wrong hands perverted and inverted. This is why Masons keep their quote-unquote secrets, which is basically just trying to get you into the mystery school tradition to ask questions and entice you. But they do that because they know that information in the wrong hands is dangerous. This is the ruffians. This is why when the ruffians didn't earn their keep and they didn't, they, you know, they weren't moral or ethical, what did Hiram Abiff do? And go screw yourself. You might as well kill me before I give up holy divine knowledge. Right, because he knew what the he knew what those Jews were going to do with it, he knew. So we understand that we understand that good uh, the, the the light um, this wisdom and things like that can, in the wrong hands can be perverted. This is a given. This is how the devil often works by wrapping himself up in the sacred. The devil plays the greatest trick ever by scaring away the devout through associating divine truth with the wicked and the vile. We're going to cover this whole thing when we, when we talk about uh, Baphomet and all that sort of stuff. This is an age-old tactic and one that requires very little creativity or imagination. In other words, the devil just comes up and he's like, oh, the cross, the pentagram, as above, so below. I'll just wrap myself up in that stuff. And then all the people that, like the, these Christians that are fundamentalists, literalists, they'll see that and be like, see, all that stuff is bad, see? Devil hardly had to do shit. And he just kept you away from the very path you're on. 
Because you couldn't be like, maybe that guy's full of shit. Maybe the devil is <clears throat> a liar. <laughs> this is 666, by the way. Now I'm just going to rant here a second. I know I've talked about this before enough times, but this is 666, right? The devil wraps himself up in that number. People think that that number is evil because it's it's referenced where you know with the devil, right? Um, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is a number of man, and his number is 603 score and 6, is Revelation 13, 18. And people are like, see, it's all the devil worship. 666 is the number of the devil. And I say, no, why did the devil wrap him up in 666? Because he wants you to stay far away from it. And it worked like a damn charm, and it still works today. Then you read a few chapters later, what does it say? And I saw as it were a sea mingled with fire and them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. That's Revelation 15 two, just a chapter and a half, whatever, later. Okay, so here everyone's running scared from 666. What did the devil do? He wrapped himself up in it so you wouldn't pay it any mind. So you wouldn't pay it any attention so that anytime 666 came up, you would you'd, you'd go RV truth and then run for the hills. The devil hardly had to do shit and he kept you completely off your spiritual path. See how that works? <clears throat> but just like all the works and wiles of the devil, the wizardry and scare tactics eventually wear off. They're wearing off, by the way, these scare tactics. And the devil's machinations, schemes, and sleight-of-hand tricks that used to dissuade the superstitious from ever examining or researching esoteric subjects no longer sways even the simple-minded seeker. And that's hopefully the spell that we're going to try to help break at this church, is to break that, oh, it's all evil because the devil wraps himself up in it. Chances are, if the devil's wrapping himself up in it, you might want to go check it out. (laughs) Because on the other side of it could be unbelievable light. Proclaiming occultism... As people do with Freemasonry, as most truthers, quote-unquote truthers, do with Freemasonry, proclaiming occultism as the big bad boogeyman in the world no longer holds any water with those who are critically thinking and discerning. And I'm not trying to, you know, pat you guys on the back, but if you're here, chances are you're very critically thinking and discerning. And you're not going to, you're no longer going to be like, oh, 666, that's a bad. No, I want to understand it. When this happens, the doors of the occult tradition begin to swing wide open. Once again, in sensibility, scientific reason, and logic are brought back to the fantastical and irrational. We're in this position today where this whole thing of the big bad boogeyman and occultism, it's all bad. Well, once we get past that, that, uh, that uh, barrier right in our mind and we open it up, we realize, oh, shit, there was a whole castle. There's a whole temple worth of wisdom and knowledge that was behind this thing. And I just didn't want to open that door because of... 666. It was the door marked 666 and you stayed away from it because the because you misread scripture. The men of organized faith have for far too long abandoned their basic common sense. And in place they've propped up a belief system riddled with inconsistencies, paranoia and superstition, forcing the fiercely literal and historical upon what is clearly densely mystical. I don't see how you could possibly with a critically thinking mind pick up the Bible and be like this is a history book. This cavernous ignorance has led to a long-standing rift and division between Gnostics and so-called church fathers. This antagonism and divisiveness has apparently existed for thousands of years and remains today. Because of such, the fundamentalist follower of Christ often shakes like a leaf in a gale-force wind at the very mention of Gnosticism. It's hilarious. As if the term is somehow synonymous with the works of the devil. 
This perspective on Gnosticism adopted by many Christians throughout time is one that has been created by bishops and priests who, not providing any reasonable explanations for the endless mysteries within their own good book, continue to promulgate their interpretation of a religion that is based entirely on Gnosis who themselves have no understanding or experience of Gnosis. And now, now the people, I will say this, the people that follow this church, you can clearly see that. These people have the Dean Odals and every, everything from the church fathers of orthodoxy to Greg Locke and Dean Odal to you, you name it. None of them have a damn clue. None of them have experienced Gnosis, nor even understand that that's part of the, of the, the tradition. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. The organized faiths of Christianity have stripped away the esoteric sciences, sometimes out of wickedness, sometimes out of sheer and pure ignorance. But no matter how it has come to pass, what we are now left with is but the shell or the husk of Christianity. The the skeleton of Christianity remains, but the heart of the mystery has has been ripped out entirely. We have a skeleton, but the heart and the flesh and the meat and the bone is just frickin' gone. This unimaginative and hyper-literalist worldview has left modern Christianity, uh, the modern Christian world, in a state of utter and total confusion as to the true anagogic meanings of their faiths. These falsely adopted, contrived precepts and dogmas of men have prevented the common man, who is yearning for genuine answers to his spiritual predicament, to remain forever lost in doctrines that supply no rational answers to the numerous mysteries given by their faith. And for this illness, there is no remedy or ailment but to revive the failing body of the church with its esoteric lifeblood and inject back into it the doctrines of its true foundational Gnostic wisdom. The only way Christianity will survive moving forward to be taken seriously is if its true meaning is discovered, if the true wisdom that lies behind it is actually unearthed. If we actually come to find out, oh, this is what these stories mean. Because when you actually find that out, then the good book opens up to you. If not, then that Gnostic pursuit will forever remain closed to you. Because you close the doors. Because modern Christian churches specifically close those doors. We are going to open them up back. Okay? We're going to open those doors again. Though we are exclusively a Christian church and organization, our order dutifully and honorably celebrates the creeds and beliefs of many of the great traditions and faiths of the world. Now, a lot of Christians don't like that, and I'll just say, we don't give a shit. We teach the Prisca Theologia, which asserts that a single theology exists which threads through all the religions and which was anciently given by God to humans. And thus we educate and teach our congregation on the beliefs and faiths of many religions and spiritual doctrines. We recognize that beyond the exoteric veil of many beliefs, faiths, and religious doctrines exists a universal esoteric truth that is not determinant on anything temporary and permanent or corruptible. It is a truth that is the property of no one or everyone. This transcendental truth is what we seek out, and such a verity allows us to see our commonalities with those who we differ. And this is the beautiful thing. It allows us to see that in all the differences that we have with all of these religions, when we get to that esoteric core, what we'll see is that, well, as we say as Christians, is Christ in there. Okay? Seeking out brotherhood with our fellow man without dissolving our own unique racial, cultural, and religious characteristics is a practice that we uphold and honor. One of the things that I think that we would love to do in our church is actually 
be uh, just like masonry, be custodians of these ancient uh, of this ancient knowledge, but as it's shown in other practices, and try to keep it alive. Like try to keep Native American, uh, you know, um, languages alive and symbols alive and things like that. Why? Because once again, when you get to the esoteric and transcendental truth behind it, you recognize what's actually behind it. So you you want to preserve it. You don't want to just destroy all this stuff. And Christianity is the way, like the Rosicrucians actually think. That's ridiculous. Do you if if you think that you're missing the point of Christ. Um. <sighs> Let's just go on. Beauty is found in diversity, and the natural world is a living embodiment of this truth. As an example, although we may prefer the effervescence and splendor of the rose, we of course cannot deny the orchid, the daisy, the lily, or the tulip, and certainly declare that all of these expressions of natural beauty have been given to man by God Almighty, and thus share an equality in their divine natures. So we have all the different traditions and religions of the world. This one's a daisy, and this one's a lily, and this one's a tulip, and this one's this, and this one's that. And what is behind all of them? They're all a flower. In the, in, when, when, we, when we say it in the Gnostic tradition, in the Christian you know, mystical tradition, what's behind all of them? Christ. That's why I have no problem saying, oh, I'm, I'm an Odinite too. I'm an Odinite. I absolutely revere, respect, honor, and teach Norse traditional stuff. Why? Because I know Christ is behind that. <laughs> it's because it's the one in the same. It's, it's, when it comes down to it, the things that they're teaching are one and the same. Now, most Christians have been taught to completely deny that, and this is where they are 111% dead wrong. And this church is, is going to do its best to clarify that. We view the religions of the world much like different versions of the same divine song. Though the melody may be played faster, slower, or in different keys, on different instruments, in different genres, and in different frequencies, okay, sure. But we may penetrate those differences and see that behind each, the song is one and the same. Beauty is discovered when variations of the one truth are allowed to flourish and grow, and when different cultural expressions of this divine truth are exemplified artistically and uniquely and tolerated between peoples. As God is one in total, supreme, and above all divisions, we recognize that behind it all remains him. And on this point, nothing else can be debated or argued. Though it is acknowledged that not all religions and traditions of the world may have been constructed or manifested to uphold the sacred and transcendental truth, we recognize that. But it is recognized that many religions, those extinct and extant, have absolutely held the Prisca theology at their heart and their essence. And this is why when we read from Kingsland, he's like, the Gnostics have no problem adopting the Christian scriptures because the Gnostics actually understand what the Christian scriptures are. Literalists and fundamentalists have no clue. And I win no friends by saying that. As Gnostics, we pray with those of many different beliefs and faiths and have no compunctions or reservations about doing so. It is our divine duty to find peace and reconciliation with our fellow man, and thus we promote tolerance and acceptance to those who wish no harm or ill will, to not destroy or condone, or at least those that you know are not out to destroy or condone or belittle our faith, just as we will not do the same to them. 1 John 4.20 tells us that if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. But he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Basically, when you're looking at a fellow man, your fellow brother, you recognize what is it, that divine spark within them. If you hate them, what are you doing? You're hating God. We are required to love, not hate. And this commandment we take very seriously. 
As such, we do not require that any of our members renounce membership in any other church that they may belong to, as long as the church is tolerant to other beliefs and is it not, you know, as it not were like antichrist. Like if you're antichrist, no, we're not going to pray with you because, you know, then you're, you're missing the point of Christ within all things. So in other words, we don't pray with Juda people that practice Judaism. Again, to reject another person solely and, uh, solely and simply because of a difference of faith goes against the foundational tenets of our belief, as well as the commandments of Lord Jesus Christ. Christ instructs us in Matthew 22, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Again, once again, our neighbors may not share our beliefs, our opinions, or our unique perspectives on this world. But the one thing that we all share alike, no matter our beliefs or opinions, is the one true God that exists beyond description, categorization, word, symbol, or name. That's transcendent truth. And that's what Christ is and represents. If we are to hate one another, knowing unquestionably that the divine spark of the Creator exists within them, then what are we doing but ultimately hating God? Hate the sin, love the sinner, as the old adage goes. Though we shall not allow into our world, into our families, and into our communities degeneracy, perversion, filth, Satanism, communism, corruption, greed, and murder, we shall in no way, shape, or form hate those engaging in such sin. In our rejection and outright removal of these corrupting forces, we act and do so out of love, always. As the Lord Jesus also teaches us, we are to love even our enemies. And again, we take this commandment very seriously. Though we will adamantly, radically, and righteously reject the entrance of evil into our world, we will as well pray unceasingly for the redemption of those who brought it. For the Gnostic, the material plane is not merely the portal or gateway to another world, nor is it a place to escape from, but it is the place where man is tasked with doing his great work. And if he does his great work, then he will escape. Then he will, then he will move on to the next dimension. Earth is the realm where man is given a temporary existence in which he is to discover the eternal nature of God. On earth, man is challenged to seek out answers to the great questions he is presented with in this incarnation to the fullest capacity that his mind and heart allow him. Man must confront his own hubris and pride, become meek and humble and submit to God's inexplicable intelligence, affirm the limitations of his own mind and abilities, and come to recognize and admit that which he cannot possibly know and fathom. Furthermore, the Gnostic or the initiate is also tasked with knowing intimately and thoroughly that which he can grasp and can come to know for certain, and he must become well-versed in these provable verities. The Gnostic path is that of a polymath, or one whose life is dedicated to having a wide range of knowledge on many different subjects. This learning is rooted in the seven classic liberal arts, grammar, rhetoric, logic, music, cosmology, arithmetic, and geometry. And the focus of the Gnostic study is anchored in the study of metaphysics. Metaphysics is the study of the eternal and universal principles and axioms that allow us to understand the infinite intelligence behind the appearance of all things in the world. Part of man's spiritual path is to understand the presence of the divine in the present, in the here and now, so that he will recognize it in the afterlife. Let me say this again. Part of man's spiritual path is to understand the presence of the divine in the present, in the, in the, in the temporary in the here and now, so that he will recognize it when he crosses the gates of death. A Gnostic does not hang on the wild theories and whims of so-called experts and officials. He does not give his ear to those who continually tout unprovable conjectures. 
nor does he venture aimlessly through his mind, meandering and wandering adrift, making endless connections within mystical subjects that are never grounded in substantiality or provability, nor does he seek the approval from others for his conclusions and understandings of this world, as both the public and the commonly accepted scientific paradigms and narratives are hardly ever correct in the beliefs and assumptions. Much of the world we inhabit is often strung along by all sorts of harebrained ideas and squirrely notions, alleged so-called sciences, ignorant and dangerous opinions as well as lies, distortions, manipulations, and wicked satanic agendas. A Gnostic's job, our job, is to temper the sword of the truth and become fiercely autodidactic, perfecting his discernment and basing his understanding on that which is ultimately rational and reasonable. He must go out as a sheep among wolves and find Christ, the shepherd of truth, amidst the madness. Though it is our mantra that we are to learn from every man, it is also understood that no singular man or guru has the answer. For the Gnostic, God alone is the answer. If man has anything worthy to say, and I'll say this about myself, if there's anything, any insights or anything that you take from me, the only reason that you should be able to, you should be taking that is because I honor God. If any man has anything worthy to say about any of the subjects related to the sciences or to the truth of man's predicament, the words he offers must be anchored and rooted in the love of God and our submission to his will. Otherwise, his opinions, beliefs, and promulgations will be but empty and vacuous and not worth the breath wasted on them. And that's what I see. I hate to be so harsh, but that's essentially what I see going on with a lot of people today. They're trying to figure, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm going to give you health advice, but the first thing I'm not going to talk about is the fact that, wait a second, like, you, there, you know, you can take a sugar pill and you could claim that you're, you could uh, trick your mind, right? Plus the placebo effect, that sort of thing. You can trick your mind into thinking you're healthy and your body will respond. And you didn't take any supplements or drugs or pharmaceuticals or and you didn't have to sign up at anybody you just with you tricked your mind and you got better how many people that are pushing supplements and all, like all of this stuff online all these health guru people that sort of stuff they don't first start with square one and be like you're a fucking miracle god is working through you right now this is a big problem we have to square run, square one in any of our endeavors. If we are to be, if we are going to have any, you know, make any ground whatsoever, any headway whatsoever, must be anchored and rooted in God. Otherwise, you're flapping your trap, and you're and you're wasting that 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 precious breath. The Gnostic pursues theorems, not theories. A theorem is that which is provable and demonstrable, and a theory is merely an explanation for a phenomenon. Far too many men whether out of moral ambiguity, wickedness, or just pure delusion and foolishness, use their cunning wits to try to explain a world in which much is truly unexplainable. No man could ever explain how a caterpillar morphs into the iridescent brilliance and beauty of the butterfly. But sure as the sun rises, there will be teams of researchers and scientists who will claim as much or dare even try to find the mechanical explanation for its miraculous transformation. This is what we mean. This really gets to epistemology. You know, people say, oh, you're Gnostics and you think you know. That means you're all self-righteous and shit like that. No, a Gnostic knows is um, the, the, the limitations of what you can know and can't know. 
And so therefore the Gnostic goes to that barrier and says, oh, that's, there's a whole bunch of stuff there I can never prove, I can't know it, and keeps it in that category. And then the things that he does know, he knows intimately and as much as he can. And there are things that we can come to know. And as we're going to, as we find out, you know, through, through the last couple of years of this church and the books and things like that, we can come to know those things. And when we know those things, what they do is prove the intelligent force behind this creation known as what? The one true almighty God. And we will leave it with this. The Gnostic, in knowing what he cannot know, humbles himself before these living miracles of God recognizes the living poetry behind them and chooses to seek out the purity in his heart rather than a convoluted and unprovable explanation for the varied and inexplicable numinous phenomenon in the world. We are here to understand our world and know it. And if we are to be honest with ourselves, often the most we can possibly know or say about God's manifestation and this adventure of being that God has placed us in is that we cannot know or say much about it, but merely stand in awe of the glory of its actuality and wonder at the fact that we are even here in the first place. Okay, and that is going to do it for me today. Thank you to all the Gubbards. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. I want, like I said, I wanted to, it was went longer than I thought, but I kind of wanted to take, you know, like I said, deviate from what we've normally been doing and just, you know, kind of take a break from these crazy intense studies of astrotheology and stuff like that and just kind of do an overview of Gnosticism and the rosary and stuff like that. And so I hope you enjoyed it. So thank you to all the good birds. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much. If you'd like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at Subscribe Star. You can become a Phoenix bird, a Keeler bird, a Singer's bird, or you can become Tommy the Pete, my bird, Tommy. Um, and of course we have uh, snail mail, Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road, 3440 Mountain View, Missouri, Missouri, 65548. And of course we have donations, um, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, subscribe star, all of this sort of stuff. Oh, so, and, uh, we are also, uh, let you guys know we are streaming to YouTube, Rockfin and Rumble. We're streaming to Rumble, right? Baby? Oh, awesome. And you and thanks to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute. I think they're getting us on BitChute. I think we've kind of abandoned Odyssey or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and you can get the podcast on all the podcast apps and stuff like that. We'd like to thank uh, the – and, oh, well, let me say this. Um, you can get this sermon at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. That's right. You can get the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app, and you can recognize that the Earth is flat and stationary, and you can find your friends. Okay. Um, last week's sermon, we just want to say thank you to some of the don donors. Teague Mackin sent a card. John and Leo, we love you so much. Thank you so much. Ralphie! <laughs> Ralphs! <laughs> Our neighbor's dog who we're trying to steal. He's a good bird. Thanks, Ralph. Thunder Chicken. Awesome, Thunder Chicken. Thank you so much. Shannon Seal, so great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate the Masonic Knowledge Shop. Thank you, Shannon Seal. We love you. Uh, David Albers, David McKinney, Don Shelters. Great work, Marty. Thanks. Thanks. Many blessings. Thank you. Uh, Franklin C. Russell, D Dennis Nelissi, I think is how you say that. Michael Shucknick. Thank you so much, Michael Shucknick. God bless you. Chris Neifer, Counterculture, Marshall Watson, Gregory Mern, Valhalla. Glad you liked it. Uh, Jared Poole, not Pooh. Oh, excellent, baby. Excellent. And I'm glad you're the editor of our books. <laughs> grateful, grateful for you. Grateful for you, Jared. Thank you so much. Oscar Sanchez, early Merry Christmas with love. Thank you. Daniel Hager, always killing it, Danny. Thank you so much. Carmen Taylor, Chad Finkbeyer. Do Masons acknowledge the flat earth? If not, are they deceiving us or deceive themselves? Masons believe all sorts of crazy shit. They're not. People think that like in the Masonic Lodge that they believe the flat earth and they're not telling. But that's not it at all. 
that's not it at all. No, they're just as deluded as, as we talked about last live stream, they're just as deluded as a lot of these Christians when it comes to a lot of this these esoteric truths. Masonry anymore is, and, and this is why I haven't joined, it's kind of an old boys club. So, and the fundamental issue you will always have, and now that you guys know it, you'll see it. You Once you guys know it, you'll see it. Everybody looks at masonry through the eyes of a conspiracy theorist, and so they look for conspiracies. If you look at it through the eyes of a religious student, the whole thing's going to open up and bloom to you. And until you do that, you're going to forever be lost in that conversation. And that's really all I need to say. Morgan Hawkins, Morgan Hawkins says, I've been looking for a guide like Marty for many years. Though the wisdom you teach, I feel I am now connected to God through the wisdom. I was when I was a kid, but lost God along the way. Thanks for your wisdom, Marty. Much love for the UK. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people back to our creator in an honest, rational, commonsensical way that you can understand. So that where there's not some authority figure me like, you need to do this and believe this. Fuck that. Gavin Cross, Leap CEO, J.M. Grassi, we love you, girl. J.M., we love you. Garrett Rudolph. Oh, there's a bunch of here. Thank you so much, everybody. We really appreciate it. Um, Andrew Masonette, apparently this is my 20th super chat. Here's to you, Marty. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Andrew. Interverse podcast, always killing it. Love you, Chance. And Jen Brew, the pious of Gartonville. John Vina, uh, for helping Jen get her shit together. That's John Vina, you're going to need a lot more than that. You're going to have to add some zeros after that for my wife to get her shit together. Let's spend the next 20 minutes about how... No, I'm just kidding. Lindsay Smith. Happy Advent. The, the faithful anticipation for the arrival of our Savior. The first light of Advent is the light of the stones. The light that is existence that has existence in crystal shells and bones. Oh, that's nice. Jen, Jenny G7, the brew pious from Gartonville. 1111, best church ever. We love you, Jen. Jennifer McLaughlin. Uh, thank you for another great Sunday service. Eric Colsell, thank you, Eric. Jeremy Hines, happy rising, my friend. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Uh, Eugene Jacques, thank you so much. Jared Poole, once again, thank you so much. Ray Brockman, excellent like always. Anna Medina, Virginia Murray, Magical Stephen, one coffee. Thanks, Marty. Best church ever. Wish there was one in the UK. Alicia Crawford, always there every week. Thank you so much, Alicia. We love you. Alex Meter, 3333. What are you, some Mason? Alex? Talk to me here, you Mason. Thank you for speaking the truth and Gavin, three bucks. Okay, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much. Okay, um, we're going to, if you would like to support the work at the church store, once again, we'll have the tenants of the order hopefully out by after Christmas, something like that, as well as the children's book. And the children's book is happening. We finally have an artist. She's working on it. She knows what she's doing. She's good. And we're super excited. So it's happening finally, which is amazing. So anyway, um, we're going to listen to a Ryan Adams song called I Love You But I Don't Know What to Say. It's a beautiful song. God, this guy, when he sings, is like angels descend from the heavens. So anyway, thank you guys for today's uh, sermon. I, like I said, I know it was sort of a deviation from what we normally do, but I, I, I thought it was a good thing to do. So um, I like to break it up. So I appreciate you listening. So, okay, may you always keep yourselves in love with God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord. Jesus Christ, unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, I will see you guys next week. And next week, like I said, we're either going to do the basics or we'll get back into Matthew 25. I was hoping we'd finish the book of Matthew by Christmas, but that's that's probably not going to happen. So, And if you guys would like to see um, uh, uh, any specific sermons or anything or something that you would like me to specifically speak about, let me know. And, and um, you know, I'll, I'll try to put something together if it's, if it's something that I feel like is worthy of attention and time and stuff like that. So, okay, that's going to do it, guys. Thank you so much. Love you so much. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Sunday and have the, a wonderful rest of the week, okay? All right. As always, many blessings and much love to all.
We belong here. We belong here. There ain't nobody that tell us we're wrong. Hear them say, say this to you. I'll be by your side, see you through. And I promise you that I will keep you safe and Love you all the rest of my days. When the night is silent and we seem so far away, oh, I love you when I don't know what to say. I was lost I was lost I tried to find the balance I got caught up in the cost I let it go When I met you All the clouds parted And the light came shining through I promise you that I will keep you safe from harm And love you all the rest of my days When the night is silent and we seem so far away Oh, I love you and I don't know what to say Oh, oh.